Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It has been a minute. Uh, the podcast took a little bit of a hiatus for a couple reasons. One, because uh, I was getting out on the river while the water was still high. But the main reason is that we were finishing up a deal with uh, one of my favorite companies in the world. And I am super excited to share with you that the Satsung podcast is now brought to you by Onnit. Onnit is a human optimization supplement, food, uh, fitness gear, and apparel company. Um, they make the best products in the world. So many of their products are third-party tested, meaning that you know the shit that you're taking is working. There's no filler. There's no bullshit. Uh, the products are real. Um, I've been using them for years, and they have completely changed the game uh, in my fitness journey. They have so many products, so uh, I encourage you to go to onnit.com, and you can use the code SATSANG, that's capital S, and then lowercase A-T-S-A-N-G uh, for 10% off um, apparel, supplements, uh, and snacks. So head to onnit.com, use the code SATSUNG, get yourself some goodies that will uh, indeed change your life. Um, what else is up? So uh, the guest on the podcast today is a dear, dear friend of mine, one of my favorite human beings on the planet Earth, UFC Hall of Famer, former lightweight champion, psychedelic advocate, father, just fucking awesome dude, Rashad Evans. Um, I was so excited. Rashad and I have um, spent a lot of time together. Uh, uh, we've sat in ceremony together. Um, yeah, I've just had some amazing conversations with him. We're both members of the circle uh, and, uh, and, uh, both, uh, involved with unlimited sciences. So, um, yeah, while I got you here, go to unlimitedsciences.com and I cannot advocate that you use psilocybin, but in the event that you do decide to use some psilocybin, go to unlimited sciences, sign up for the study, uh, that we're working with Johns Hopkins to, uh, to change some laws and outlook. Anyway, without further ado, my dear brother, Rashad Evans. Rashad Evans, welcome to the Satsung Podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. First and foremost, I just want to say I'm 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 your biggest fan. I mean, I'm, I'm I mean, we're boys, <laughs> but I'm one of your biggest fans. Like I keep your music on just repeat all the time, man. It's, it's like one of those one of those albums uh, that one of those artists, I should say, that that I just can just listen to song after song after song and then pull something from each and every single song you know what i'm saying so it just it it always fits my mood because the 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 the, the uh it, it the message varies but but it, but it stays the same in a sense where it's about going back to the heart you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. that's what i love about the music dude that makes me so happy it, like it's funny, man, because I've been <clears throat> I've been watching MMA since I was probably six years old. So at that, at the time where you were making your run and and were like the fucking man and knocking everybody out, that was like the height of the sport for me. I, f I think that was like the golden era of the sport. And it was so funny, man, when we were at ceremony together, I remember uh, going over to to Dave and Mo and being like, yo, dude, one of my favorite fighters of all time is in that fucking bathroom <laughs> listening to my band right now. <laughs> so the feelings are mutual, different, different work, but same vibe, dude. I'm, I'm such a huge uh, fan you, of bro. you. Um, and, and getting to know you has been, has been super cool, man. I, 
there's so much I want to talk about because I think I think the outside world, I think a lot of our listeners, a big goal um, of the podcast for me is bringing people that might like our music, um, introducing them to people that they might not otherwise talk to. And, and fighters um, are, are a huge thing. And one of the common denominators, the thing I love so much about fighters is I think like, it's so rare that someone even finds out what their favorite thing is, what they feel like they were meant to do. Um, and 99% of fighters that I meet are just, they're all in on their dream. They're like, this is what I was put here to do. This is what God made me to do and I'm doing it. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, so first off, I just, I think, I think you're so different than every other fighter I've met. I've met a lot of savages and I've, I mean, your tape speaks for itself, but you're such a sweet dude <laughs> and, and, and you're so Thank deep you. in your spiritual practice. Um, but let, let's start at the beginning, I guess. So how, how did you get to even get into fighting? I started fighting right after I graduated from college. You know, I was a wrestling coach at a, a high school in, in Lansing, Michigan, just on the outside of Lansing, Michigan. And, um, you know, I, I was so competitive with the kids, it almost impeded on me being the coach that I could be because I, I, I would try to compete against them instead of teach them the way I could. So I was like, man, I need to find an outlet. I need to find something that I can... I, I can do where, I, where I'm not coming in with this kind of energy. So lo and behold, I call, I found uh, NHB. It was called No Holds Bar at the time, which is now called M MMA. And uh, I just started training. You know, it was about six of us in this, you know, this dirty, dilapidated um, warehouse that we that we start that we rented a room out of, and it was like a real life fight club. You know, I had like doctors, cops, and just like you know, people from all different kind of professional walks of life coming in there to kind of relieve that kind of stress. And they were big MMA fans, underground MMA fans. And, and that's where we got down at. And then it got to the point where, you know, we, you know, I got so good and I was developing so fast and, you know, I, it, it was no longer a challenge for me to work with a group of guys. So um, we started to go and train with Dan Severin in Coldwater, Michigan. And Dan Ooh. Severin's an MMA legend back in the day, like one of the pioneers of the sport. So um, I fought on a few of his shows like a few of his smoker shows he had in Indiana, he had some in Iowa and they were like, like back in the day, these shows were, you know, you, you go, there was no, there was no medicals really. You know what I'm saying? You, you go there, you, you maybe had a blood test, but that was probably like all the medicals you were due and you were fighting these smokers. And, and by smokers, I mean like it'll be events where like it's nothing but a room full of smoke because everybody's playing like bingo or just drinking and smoking out, you know, smoking. So uh, that's where I fought in my first few shows. That's where I cut my teeth at. And um, I knew I was hooked right away because my first fight, I signed up to do one fight, but I ended up doing a tournament. You know, I ended up doing a tournament and fight like three guys in one night. And I was like, man, this is, this is it for me. You know, just like that exact feeling. Like, like it was like, I knew this was why I was born. You know, I knew this was going to be my vehicle to take me to, 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 to wherever I wanted to go in life. So um, I just, I just was so passionate about it after that and slowly, but surely I kept working my way up and I got an opportunity to be on the ultimate fighter show through Dan Severin because he got inducted in the hall of fame. And, uh, after that, you know, the rest is history, man. So for people listening that don't understand what, what like that tournament vibe was. So imagine fighting, like if you're, you're in an MMA fight and I would assume there were three rounds still. 
Yeah, so three like, five minute regard, rounds. Regardless of how long the fight goes, if you win, you have to fight again. Yep. So it's all in one night. So MMA used to be like even the early UFCs were that way, where dudes would fight. And some dudes would quit just from exhaustion. They'd win two fights like that. I know that happened to Hoyce. He was just like, nah, dude, I can't oh, yeah. stand up. You know, yep. like, there's no way I'm going to go fight. Um, I'm so glad they did away with that to ask someone to fight more than dude, once it, in a night is so bananas. I mean, it, it was crazy because a lot of times um, when I fight in these tournaments, if I had a cut or something, I would have to like glue my eye shut just so I can compete in the next fight. You know what I'm saying? But then I would have to hide it from the commission so they wouldn't see that I got glue on my eye. But back in the day, there, was not, there wasn't no real commission because like, we fought on these Indian reservations where they kind of had a commission, but at the same time, you know, they, they let a lot of shit go. You know, they let a lot of stuff go. So, uh, you know, I would have like glue on my eye, then I'll cover it up with some Vaseline to make it look like I was cool. But I mean, that's just how you fought. And it was like, it, it was what you did. You know, you just fought two or three times a night. And, um, and, and, and for me, that was, that was the true test if this is what I wanted to do, you know, because back in these days, there was no scouting for the fighter. There was none of that, you know, all the, no, none of the, none of the, the science that goes into fighting now was there. It was just like, all right, I'm going to fight this guy. I don't know. I may have watched a, a minute of his last fight because I only can watch a little bit of it before I have to rest up and get ready for my next fight, which may be that guy. So, you know, or I have my coach watch the guy and I get, and I go in the back and sleep and rest, but there was no planning, no preparation. It was just, you know, straight knuckling, buckling. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Because I remember there were these tournaments. I had a few friends that I grew up in Des Moines um, and moved to Chicago in my late teens. But I remember in Des Moines, I think they were called Tough Enough or some shit like that. Yeah. But same thing. It was like it, it was at a, a music venue, and they would just do them once a month, and you just came in and signed a waiver. And then boom, this guy will tape your hands, here's some gloves, fight. And yeah, there was no sort of, I don't really remember anyone. I mean, some of the Militich, like the lower dudes at the Militich camp would yep. come out and beat the shit out of everyone. But for the most part, it was dudes that just came out that wanted to like tell their friends like, yeah, I fought, you know, like that, that was it. <laughs> well, that, well, so, so that was me though. That was me. Like, I mean, I, I, like a part of me was like, I, I used to work in a hospital as a security guard. And part of, you know, the joy of me for fighting was to, like, go and show the security guards me whooping ass on a weekend. You know what I'm saying? So it was cool because then I, I would uh, <laughs> have these fights on tape and then I'll bring them to work and then they would just, like, play them all week, you know, play them all week or for a couple of weeks, you know, letting people see me fighting stuff. But it was uh, it was something fun to do. You know, I, I really I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And, and also being, you know, working in the hospital as a security guard, I was like, um part of my job was to put bodies in a morgue and do the job that the pathologists have to do. And they went home at five o'clock. So I would have to do a lot of that work. And I would just put these bodies into the morgue and I see these people die. And I'm just like, man, did they, did they, did they leave it? Did they give it all they had to give? Because at the end of the day, they were just a number in, in what we call room 10, you know, and, it, and they, and they, uh, they lost their humanity, they lost their identity. And at that point it was just like, Man, when I go there, when I become that number, when I be go to that room ten, wherever it may be, I want to be like, you know, there lies a bad motherfucker who who didn't who didn't waste a drop of anything. You know, he gave it all that he had, and um, at that point, that's when I truly, truly made the conscious effort that this was gonna be everything. This is gonna be everything in my life. Like I was gonna give everything for this dream. 
Man, it's funny that you just brought it up that way. Like, I've been really obsessed. I, I'm working, I'm writing the next record right now. And that's kind of the overall theme, right? Memento Mori is like, remember you will die. And it sounds, it sounds so dark when you say that to someone, right? Remember you will die. But to me, it's right. like the opposite of that. It's like, no, dude, you're going to die. Like, what do you want to do yeah. about it? And, right. and no, dude, I have right. that same, that same mentality is like, I just have no desire to play it safe, you know? So like, yeah. I'm probably the worst person to give a kid advice because I'm like, like <laughs> fucking take the punch, ride the motorcycle, kiss the girl, you know, smoke the weed, try the thing, you know, like I just, I, yeah. I'm the same way, dude. I just looked at my life and, and music was the same way for me as I'm like, dude, I was so scared of like when I started, it was just like, even if I fall flat on my face, when I get to that place, when I get to the end, I can at least be like, well, at least I tried. So I'm not like sitting right. in a chair somewhere where I know I'm going to die soon being like, fuck, I didn't even try. You know, I just yeah. was like, nah, that'll yeah. probably be hard. Um, so yeah, dude, that was so funny. You brought it that way. That's been a heavy topic of conversation uh, uh, amongst my crews out yep. here is that. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of fighters, even, even along the path that, you know, um, were there and was so close to being that, you know, achieving their dreams, but then, at the end of the day, they just didn't have that that deeper burn, that deeper that deeper push to 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 bring that out of themselves, and and um, it's sad to see them realize years later that they sold themselves short. You know, so it's like when you're in it, you gotta give it, you gotta you gotta have all hands on deck, and you gotta push for it, and you gotta go for it like it's the only thing in your life because you never know how long an opportunity is gonna last. And that and that's the thing about having an opportunity is just making the most out of it, no matter how small it is. And, and life is full of opportunities that that need to be seized because we're we're living uh, by 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 the grace. You know what I'm saying? We're living by the grace of God. Every single second is 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 a borrowed second, you know. And if you have a chance to have an opportunity in that second, you better maximize it because it goes just like that. Yeah. And I, th and I think that's something people underestimate, you know, it's, it's, what's a bummer with, with combat sports that I see is the more I'm around athletes, there seems to be, like you're saying, there's so many cats where it's like, fuck dude, if you just put the pedal down and shut the yeah. rest of the world off and we're like, this is what I'm doing. You'd be so great. Yeah. But I, I don't think, I think a big part of it is, is it's such a young man's game. And unfortunately when you're young, you think you have all this time and then you blink and you're 30 and it's like, okay, well shit. Okay. So I missed this huge window where I should have been getting experience. I should have been doing this, you know? And it's like the parallels between, um, um, like I said, f uh, a fighter trying to make it and a musician trying to make it is it's like, they're so similar. One is a lot safer than the other physically, but it's the same mentality of that's it. I just need this opportunity. I know I'm great. I just need the opportunity to show it, you know? Um, and, and yeah, man, it's such a, it's such a rare thing that someone does what you do, what you did, which is believe in yourself and have the conscious thought process that said, this is my opportunity and I'm, and I'm going all in on it, especially at a time when well, MMA was not what it is. And, and, and the truth of the matter was, you know, it wasn't, like I've always like there were there were points in my career where it would fade in and out, you know, so much of life would take over and take center stage, you know, all the things outside of fighting would, would take precedent. 
And um, it's funny because it, this this whole this whole time of me fighting has went by so fast. You know, I started fighting when I was like 25 years old, and now I'm 41. And it just seems as if like it was just like a blink of an eye. You know what I'm saying? Like I remember at one point, probably like when I was like maybe 35, 36, and I got injured, and I'm just like, man, is this is this it? You know, I felt like the world the world was was over. And then I kind of went down that, that path where it was just like trying to find myself, trying to understand like what it, what it was all about, you know? And then now that I'm, I'm 41 years old and I've come and I've come out of that, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's what it was all about. I overcomplicated things because I added things to, 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 to the mixture that didn't belong there. You know what I'm saying? And then before I knew it, I was, you know, trying to sift through what I thought was what, and I got away from the heart of, of what it is that, that really motivated, motivated me and made me drive, you know, drive to be the best. Yeah, I think another thing that's hard when you're chasing a dream is that it's always what's next. It's so right. hard to be present because you're always like, you know, like you play the show or you win the fight and you don't even really get a bask in it. It's like, okay, well, what's next? How do we keep moving forward? Yeah. How do we keep the, you know, how do we keep the buzz going? Um, I think what's crazy too is to think about like the time when you were coming into the sport. It's not like it was now. There was nothing to point to. Like nowadays you have the the Izzy's and the Connors and there's people to point yeah. to where you're like, fuck, dude, if I do this right, I could really make it. Yeah. Dude, at the time that you were coming up, it was like, you know, there were still people on fuck on the news calling it human cockfighting. You know, it was like, it was such a weird yeah. sport to people. And when you told people that you watched it, you know, people were like, you'd have to explain it to them. And people would still be like, what? Like, I mean, to, to your <laughs> point, you know, when, when, when I, uh, when I told my mother, I was going to go on an ultimate fighter show and I was going to be a fighter instead of, you know, pursuing what I went to school for and college for. And she said, Rashad, wait, you're going to be a fighter, but Shad, your ass going to go to jail. She couldn't understand that it was a sport. She really just couldn't understand it. Like, she was just like, you fight in the cage. Rashad, why you want to do that? And she just couldn't understand why, why I would want to do that. You know, even when I won, after I won the Ultimate Fighter show, she was like, okay, now you're going to go get a job. Because it just, you just weren't, you just weren't hearing of these people making that kind of money. You know what I'm saying? So, it's a complete 180 from where I started from, but it's something uh, at the time I was fearless about. I didn't care if if I made any money doing it. For me, to compete was the money. Matter of fact, a lot of times I competed in these tournaments. I competed for like 300 bucks at the most. You know what I'm saying? That couldn't even that couldn't even pay for my eyes. Couldn't even pay for the stitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's crazy because one thing I remember. Um, it was when the UFC, it was like post the, uh, the, the big Stefan Bonner, um, blowout where the UFC kind of just became huge. Like ultimate fighter was on FX and they had just kind of started doing the, like the cool, um, 30 minute, like fighter profiles leading up to a fight. And at that time, it just seemed like all the fighters are like savages. And I remember this, this clip of you. So clearly of you riding in this SUV and they play love and happiness by, uh, by Al Green. 
and I was, there was something uh, so cool about you because everyone else, right, was this Chuck Liddell, like, yeah, I have a mohawk and I'm fucking crazy. And then here was this smooth dude that was just like, nah, baby, this just work. You know, like, I just, just another yeah. day at the office. Yeah. And there was, I think you were kind of the first showing, like, in, in my opinion, there wasn't a lot of people that were like, this is what high level skill in martial arts looks like. Like it defeat it defeats most tough guys. There was a smoothness yeah. to it. There was a relaxedness to it. You weren't punching yourself in the fucking face before you fought. You know, there wasn't all this yeah. crazy scream. And it was like, it, it was kind of that like that like Muhammad Ali energy. It was just like, yeah. nah, dude, I'm going here chill as a cucumber, and I know I'm gonna win. And it was like, what was it like in that time to see? To go from like yeah fighting at a fucking indian reservation to like oh shit now there's pay-per-views now this is actually because you were there when it went from we can't fucking put this on tv to right. it really turning into what it is now which is you know the biggest sport in the world is what it seems it, it was crazy because it seemed as if like every single show it would get bigger and bigger and um i i would i would still keep the mindset as if like you know like a small show uh, a small mindset, like it was a smaller show, but everybody would be hearing about it. More people started talking about it. And then before too long, I just couldn't escape it no matter where I went. You know, it was like before I would have to tell people that I was a fighter and they didn't really know what it was. Like, like for instance, after I came back from the Ultimate Fighter show, I went back and worked my security job. And I thought that I'd be able to work my security job and have a normal life. But you know, the show was such a huge success. I became a liability at the job and people wanted to come in for autographs and they weren't coming there for the hospital. They just were coming in to see me and they're like, <laughs> hey, you know, you know what I'm saying? Abs, you got to do something about this, you know? So at that point, I was like, man, I can't, I can't work a normal job anymore. And then that's when it became real to me that this was, this was just more than, than, than what I thought it was. And this had really uh, a big potential to grow into something big. And um, to see the UFC just keep on knocking down these milestones and keep on, you know, up in the ante and, and all these things. It, it was something, you know, that, that, uh, that was a thing of beauty because the UFC family back then was just so tight. You know, it was, it was truly like a family and we really had each other's back. And, um, you know, to, to, to be a part of the show back then, it was something special because you knew you were part of something that was really going to be echoed in, in, in history for the rest, you know, for, for a long time. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wild thing now to see how big the sport's gotten. And it's, uh, you know, I'm sure it's even weirder for you as you were an athlete through that period, but there's so much, I mean, this is, this is true of so many things, but there's like a, there's a history missing, you know, like I, I try to talk, I talk to my kids like a fucking fight historian, you know, where like I try to try to explain to them like the early era of the UFC and, and what that first ultimate fighter series did. And, you know, it's one of the things, man, there's so many people that have so many opinions about Dana White, but I'm like, dude, how say what you want about the dude. He made a way for so many people. Like, cause I, I think there's so many dudes in the UFC now that would have fucking just kept fighting in the barns and the fucking, you know, they, that would have just been fighters any damn way, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. now they have this opportunity to, to feed their people and, 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 you know, and do something, you know, rather than just be like, I don't know, man, I'm a tough guy. <laughs> you know, that's what I do. Well, I, you know what? I, I share, I share the same sentiment because, you know, you have, um, 
you know, uh, the YouTubers, you know, Jake Paul and those guys, uh, you know, having tremendous success doing their thing. And, um, you know, but now, you know, they're, they're talking a lot of trash about Dana White and how he doesn't pay the fighters and all these different things. And, you know, I, I will be the first to say there are some things as a fighter that we need to get, get, get together and we need to come together and, uh, and do so we can have some rights and, and some kind of union or whatnot. But to, to, uh, to say that the UFC, the Dan and White, and, put, and paint them in a bad light, I don't, I don't agree with that because they gave an opportunity to so many people, like you said, that didn't have any. You know, I was a wrestler from Michigan State, you know, and, and I was never going to be a boxer, but the combination of having decent boxing skills and being able to use my wrestling, it attributed to the, it attributed to the success that I was able to achieve in the sport. So I can never be mad at Dana, no matter how much, you know, these fighters make in the future versus how much I made or how much I would never make and how much their contracts will be. Because at the end of the day, it had to start somewhere. And, and these guys mm -hmm. ha have built a tremendous stage for these fighters to, 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 to have a life that they would have never had if the sport didn't exist. Yeah, I agree, man. And there's just so many of those those stories I was like, my son was, was comparing Sean O'Malley to Connor the other day. And I was yeah. like, bro, you gotta stop. I was like, Connor fucking, <laughs> no. I was like, Connor literally came out of nowhere and just starched right. people all the way through and then got two belts without any hiccups whatsoever. I was like, yeah, that's not how that goes. You know, that dude just showed up yeah. and fucking ran game. Um, dude, how fucking crazy were the fights this weekend? That was fucking oh my nuts, dude. My God, it was it was um it, it was it was a tough one for me because I was supposed to be there. My my guy Greg Hardy fought, and uh, yep. he he fought Tai Tuivasa, and um, he almost you know, had I coached him too. on camp. He almost had him. I coached him all camp, and uh, I couldn't make it because I tested positive for the for the COVID. But I never I never had any symptoms. You know, I may have I lost smell and taste for like uh, two days, but then after that, I was I was normal. So. It was it was a big miss by me, but um, it was just sad not to be there for him. But mm -hmm. just watching the card in general, just seeing just seeing how amazing that card was, man, I wish I would have been there. You know that that fight at the end, the um, the last fight with with Dustin and, and Conor McGregor, that to me was uh, it was a crazy fight, man. It was it was one of the most emotionally filled first round fights, you know, because when the fight first started. You felt as if like, okay, Connor's back on his Connor's shit. Connor's back, you know throwing Connor, his kicks and shit. Back, he was throwing his kicks. He was, you know, having the distance and range. And he even had Dustin right where he wanted to, as far as Dustin, you know, coming in that space, that range where he can unload that left hand, you know. So everything was looking good for Connor, but then Dustin just turned it up another level and was able to get him down. And after he got him down, it was just, it was just a wrap, you know. But the 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 part for me that was just crazy is just watching Connor at the end of the fight. He was just seething, like he was he was seething, like he was the the uh, manifestation of the devil himself. You know what I'm saying? Just that <laughs> that energy. You know, it it was just that energy. And and, I, and and Michael Rappaport hit it the best when when he, a, a, a tweet that he said, uh, not tweet, uh, IG that he said a message. He said that. Connor was like Denzel Washington at the end of training day. You know what I'm saying? Where yep. he just had had no more clips left in the barrel when he was just like, 
F it, you know what I'm saying? And then he just started busting off at the mouth, you know, and, and saying anything that he can to, to find his target at that point. And uh, it, that, that part to me was sad because I get the, the selling a fight. I get the, the bravado, but um, it, I think he took it too far. You know what I'm saying? I, I took it. I think. I think. He, I think he took it too far because that that took away a bit of the grace that he's always had at the end of the fight. And that's one thing about Conor. Like he's one of those guys who would talk a, a truckload of shit and, and 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 you know make you laugh along the way. But no matter how shit talking went, no matter how crazy it got, he was always that guy to be like, you know what? He beat me. He was a better man and give his opponent yeah. props. He didn't do that this time, and it kind of like. I don't know. I'm glad you said that. I want to ask your opinion on something as someone that fought at the highest level. Yeah. So here's, here's my take. I, I think in fighting or anything, when you take a loss, you have to sit in it and you have to go, okay, well, what the fuck happened? And, and how can I avert that again? What, whether that's in the music business or whatever, like, okay, we approached it this way. That did not work. It cost me money. So let's not do it that way again. And I remember Connor after he lost to Nate, he just goes, yeah, I mean, he, he fucking got me. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have rolled over to my stomach. You know, he owned it right away. Yeah. Yeah. And then went back to the lab and it seems like he hasn't like when he lost to Khabib, it was, I didn't even fucking train. It was this, it was this, right, it was this right. rather than just like, nah, man, probably the greatest fucking grappler and mixed martial artist in human history beat me. Yeah. There I go. And and it seems like he hasn't sat. He hasn't sat in his losses and just been like, okay, well, what was it, you know? Um, and I I get I do think that there was probably a level judging how he was during the first Poirier fight to the second one. I do think his coaches were like, all right, bro, enough with this nice guy shit. We need we need you know, we need you, you back. back. And I, I think he took it way way too far, but. What, what's your opinion on that? Like when you lose, when you would lose a fight, what, what was the thing? Obviously you're pissed because you just lost a fight in front yeah. of a bunch of people, but. You're, you're pissed, but at the same time, what I've always found is that being able to face it is the medicine that helps you get by it. Being able to face it means that you, you not only sit with it, but you, you, you accept it. For whatever it is, you accept it. Because when you accept it, you're able to then correct the mistakes that you made. When you don't accept it, you can't see the mistakes that you made because every single time you get to that point where it becomes to reflect you and what you did, you avoid it. And, and, and that's not where the growth is. The growth in this whole entire thing is not like, I, I say this, I competed against a lot of people, but the only person I ever truly competed against was myself. It was always me versus me. No matter who I was fighting, it was always me versus me. And me getting a win or loss, it was not contingent on them. It was contingent on my execution and, and, and what I was able to do, you know? So when you're not able to face yourself in a loss, in a moment of despair, in a moment of setback, then you set the tools, then you set up for to have that happen to you again. Because you're not, you're not able to look at the biggest part in the equation, which is yourself. You are always the biggest part in the equation, you know, and, and the world has everybody fooled 
thinking that the world begins and ends from the outside. The world doesn't begin from the outside. The world begins and ends with me opening my eyes, with me making a conscious connection to whatever I'm looking at or trying to understand. You know what I'm saying? That's where the world begins and ends. And, 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 and that's, how, that, that, that's how you have to look at these, these losses and these setbacks in life is that, okay, I had a loss, I had a setback. Let me sit with this shit, no matter how bad it stings. Let me just, let, let me really, really see, you know, where was it that I failed? Because before I failed on the outside, there was something in here that failed. And I got to get to the bottom of that or it's going to happen again. And that's the thing mm-hmm. with Connor, like, he, he, he may be stuck, like, that's why he's stuck on this loop, on this loop, and he, he may never get, get over it. You know, we may, we may see one of the most successful fighters, the highest paid athlete of all time in mixed martial arts, not get where he once was because he's lost that connection with himself. He, he's lost that, that, that brashness to look at himself. And, um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. And, that, and that's how fate is, you know what I'm saying? These laws are immutable laws. They're laws of the universe. You know what I'm saying? No matter mm-hmm. who you are, you can't get by these laws. They're immutable laws. You have to understand th- that these laws, um, you know, have, have true power over your life and all things in the universe and all things in existence. And when you're able to face that and you're able to face yourself, then you have the tools to be able to grow. Mm. Damn, you hit that right out of the park. Yeah, man. I think that's the thing, right? Is that the, I think the biggest failure in human consciousness is this belief that life is happening to you and not for you. There's this thing of like, well, I'm separate and this is all out here and it's hitting me. It's like, no, dude, it's all this thing. It's a dance. It's not a, you know, it's not a collision. It's a dance. It's like, sometimes you're down and when you're down, you need to sit in that. So you understand what down means. You know, there's this, um, I, I think there's a level too, that's so weird with Connor where, you know, it, here was a dude that was living in his parents' attic and hired a fucking film crew to start following him around because he was going to make this run. He was going to do something the sport had never seen. Man, and there's this part of me, I mean, we always would have wanted more, but there's this part of me of like, dude, what after, after that performance he had against Eddie Alvarez, what if he would have just walked? Walked away. Just been walked like, away. boom, wasn't that the coolest shit you've ever seen? Peace. You know, like, but that's, that's never how it goes, dude. They never do that. And it's hard. Silva was another one of those guys where it was like, he was on such a tear for so long. And it's like, but no one ever leaves on top. No, that's not how it Because you know why? It's, it's so hard to, because there's nothing like the roller coaster of riding that emotional train that a fight brings, you know, it's such an adrenaline uh, high because you're scared to death but you're also very confident, but you're also, um, you know, you know, very uh, focused and you have all these different emotions just coming together to make this like, like this soup, you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, you know, you have to find a way to, to, to ride this emotional roller coaster so you can get the results that you want. And when you ride that emotional roller coaster and you beat the number one person who's standing in front of you, which is yourself, which is that doubt, which is all those things that may creep into your brain when it's time to compete. Once you defeat that motherfucker and then you, and then you beat the guy in the cage is nothing. 
that that high is higher than anything you can as bet is is higher than any drug you can ever feel. Like there were some fights afterwards. I didn't drink any alcohol, didn't touch any drugs, didn't even eat any food. I was just so high off of what just happened. I couldn't even sleep. You know what I'm saying? I I, I would literally sleep the, the next afternoon because I was just so pumped up and I needed nothing. I needed nothing. I was just so at, just so happy. You know what I'm saying? It was just a feeling that I really can't explain. And when you don't have that feeling anymore, it feels as if like you're missing a part of yourself. You're, you're missing, you're missing a, a deeper connection with yourself, you know? So that, that is one thing that is really hard to walk away from once you experience the highest of the highs on that plane. Yeah, and it's hard when you see, I think especially way back in the day when fighters weren't making any money, you saw guys go way further than they should. You know, one of my favorite fighters of all time, Mark Coleman. He was one of those dudes where he was like, oh, yeah. fuck, dude, you shouldn't be fighting no more. And Don Fry was like, yeah, you know, yeah. fighting with a broken neck and shit. And it's like, the only thing I could relate to it is like, if for some reason I hit a certain age where I would go to play guitar and it just sounded like shit. And it was like, well, I got fucking bills to pay. And everyone's like, but dude, it doesn't sound good anymore. You know, I just, it's, it's, it's such a bummer when you see these guys like not making plans. You know, one thing also that I really love about you and, and, and watching your career is you really strategically moved into the analyst thing and the entrepreneur thing. And there's so many fighters, especially from your era that were just like, the fuck do you mean? What am I going to do after fighting? I mean, I'm a fighter. I don't know. You know, um, TJ Dillashaw was another guy that I had on the podcast that was like, I was so impressed at how much fucking irons he's got in the fire where he's like, dude, I'm a couple years away from like fighting because I want to fucking fight. You know, like I'm not fighting because I need the check. I'm fighting because I want that belt again. That's it. Period. You know? Yeah. You know, what's what's some advice for for some for some younger fighters, man? Because I think that's such a thing where that's almost the like the cool mentality is like, nah, man, there is fucking nothing else. I'm a fighter, and that's it. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, there there has to be a point where your focus is that is that sharp on it, but at the same time, you do have to start to maximize the time away from fighting to develop other parts of your game. You know, because what I found is the fact that it can stop so abruptly. And if you've been doing season after season of only focusing on your fighting, when it stops, you have built nothing up in, 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 the, in, in the meantime, you know? So you, you're truly lost and not knowing what you wanna do and not even knowing what you can do. And, and some of the things that you could do have atrophied over time because you haven't been using it, you know? So then you find yourself in a struggle to truly find out truly find something that moves you in the same way. And the thing about fighting is that it's a good crutch to help you start to find other things that move you, find other things that you're passionate about. Because one thing I learned about fighting, it's the passion that drives you in life. It's all about passion that drives you in life. You know, and I was very fortunate enough to be able to have fighting to show me that that passion is it is is the key to having a well fulfilled life you know what i'm saying have a well uh uh, a life that that really has value to you you know what i'm saying having a passion for what you do in life having a passion for 
the, the, the way you live and, and things like that, you know, um, a lot of people go through life lukewarm because they get these lukewarm jobs that they're, you know, they, they, they get to, you know, to pay bills and not really, you know, they're not really moved by it. And that becomes their whole life. And then their whole life echoes that exact feeling, just that lukewarm feeling, you know what I'm saying? Where they never really live in the passion of life. So as a fighter, while you have the opportunity, you got to start building yourself outside the cage. You got to just even start with something that you do like and just kind of start bridging that out and just seeing how you can monetize that. Because in life, it's all about, you know, finding a job that you love so you never feel like you have to work a day in your life. Yeah, man, it's it's so funny. Like I trace so much shit back to like, you know, being young, I, dude, I remember being as young as like eight or nine. And they used to have that, like, take your kid to work day, you know, and yeah. I remember going to work with my parents and, you know, my mom worked in an office with cubicles. And I remember just so clearly being like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm never wearing a tie. I'm never like, whatever this is, I want nothing to do with it. And I remember seeing pictures of, you know, uh, hell's angels or, the Grateful Dead or skateboarding, like anything that involved the counterculture, I was like, okay, that seems like the furthest thing from this. So I'm going yeah. there, you know, and, and it's so funny because like my, my obsession and love of the counterculture is what pays my bills now. You know, I've, yeah. I've found myself like a figure within that culture um, making music for, for people that are doing just what, what you're saying, which is like they're trying to squeeze the juice out of life, not just like coast by it. And that's, right. to me, that's all I'm here to do is because I think, you know, we're so inundated with when we're young with, with safety, security, and all these things. Like, I don't ever remember being a kid and I don't remember a single teacher asking me, well, what would make you happy? Right. You know, it's like, I tell my kids that all the time, like happiness is the currency, you know, even yeah, if you're not making it. a bunch of money, but you're fucking happy you're winning because yeah. most people aren't happy. Yeah. I've met so many people with so much money that are like, that aren't happy. And it's like, yeah. I, if fame and money and drugs and pussy and all that was it, we wouldn't see famous people overdosing and killing themselves all the time. It's like, right. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Absolutely. It's happiness. And, 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 that, and that's the thing about it. It's like, you know, once you climb to the top, like in, in, in whatever is your perspective, uh, uh, area in life, you, you realize that, you know, it was never about being at the top that, that, that makes you the most happy. It, it was always the journey to get there, the, 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 the thought in your mind, what it would be like, you know, and, and, and just that right there, it drove the happiness. It, it made the passion for whatever you were chasing that much more. But sometimes when you get to the top, most of the time when you get to the top, you realize it's nothing like you thought. It's nothing like you thought. And, and for some people, they can handle that. But for some people, they can't. And they got to drink and they got to booze. I mean, they got to, you know, do drugs and they got to do all these different things to numb themselves, you know, because they, 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 they just like, man, what, what is this? You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not what I thought it was, you know? And, 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 that's, and that's the hard thing about it because, you know, you think you know what you want, but then when you get it on the level where you get it, you realize that it was all about the chase, man. The chase is where it's at. 
Yeah, man. I just had kind of this profound thing after, after the ayahuasca ceremony, man, I, I just was like my, I had this drive home, a 10 hour drive home by myself. And I was just stuck in this thing of like, all right, bro, it's time to start sitting. Like I spent most of my career thus far wondering what was next, focusing on what was next. And I wasn't really present for some of the coolest shit that I've got to do because I was always so scared and worried and concerned with what was next. And I just kind of had this realization early this summer that was like, man, all I can do is put my heart and soul into what I'm doing and, and make the best art that I can make and take whatever it brings me. Like yeah. me being obsessively stressed out about what's coming next or how many tickets are we selling here and how, how's the record doing and all this shit, man, what a waste of time. It's like, I'm just going to breathe, man. I'm just going to sit here and breathe and do the best that I can. And I'm going to take whatever it brings me. Cause like, like you're saying, I know whatever that, that next level is, whether it's like, you know, a tour bus or a fucking Grammy or like whatever that shit is, I know it's going to be weirder than I thought it would be. And it's not going to be as cool. And then you get there and you're like, okay, well, okay, well now we're selling out theaters. How come we're not doing arenas yet? When can we do arenas? You know, I'm like, I'm just so fucking out of that game, dude. I'm just trying to, I'm like, I just want to enjoy this whole fucking thing, man. And be in the process rather than like trying to fucking sprint through the process, you know? And that's, that's something that I've, I've done most of my life is I've just been in this sprint to get through whatever phase I'm in rather than being like, well, this is a cool phase. Let's see, you know, let's see yeah. what I learned during this phase. You know, I think that's one thing that yeah. um, is a good segue into something I want to talk to you about. I know that psychedelics have been really profound for you. Um, and to me, that's like, I think it's a missing link for so many people. You meet people with certain personality types and it's like, oh man, if I could just show you this room, it would change your whole outlook on everything outside of the room. Yeah. Because it, yeah. It, for me, it always brings me back to that, that knowing like this is all one thing that we're not like all these separate entities. We're all interconnected. This experience is interconnected and that everything isn't happening to me. I'm not the fucking center of the universe. So it's like to think that things are happening intentionally to me is the most bananas thing ever. Right. It's like, no, dude, I'm a part of this dance. And sometimes you stub your toe or step on someone's foot during the dance or vice versa. And other times you're leading, sometimes you're following, but it's all the dance. You know, I, what, right. what role have they played uh, in your life? And um, yeah, that, I guess that's the question. What role, what, role, what role they played in my life? Man, um, psychedelics have been, you know, one of my biggest tools for really uh, digging at the heart of, um, of life for me, you know, like really trying to understand um, myself on another level and really for the first time getting a kind of connection with myself that wasn't based on anything outside of myself. You know, like fighting was a great uh, vehicle for me and um, it, it helped me to face myself in a lot of ways and leading up to a fight would always bring on this like sage consciousness that you know of acceptance and of letting go and all these different things that I would I would feel in that moment when I really had to put it on the line but psychedelics brought me that 10 times more as far as being able to you know have that connection with myself and truly come back to myself in a way that I didn't truly know was possible you know I've seen you know these great um, these great thinkers, 
you know, these great, um, you know, spiritual leaders in life and talk about the oneness and talk about the connection with all things. And, you know, for the most part, I, I could understand it from a conceptual standpoint, right? I can conceive it, but th there's a difference between, you know, um, you know, uh, reading and reading comprehension, you know what I'm saying? To, to, to be able to <laughs> comprehend it and, and, and really be able to truly feel it was, was something that I never thought, I never thought really existed. You know, at some point I was like, okay, it's true. But then some of that stuff I thought was kind of like, you know, that foo-foo bullshit, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's that, you know, foo-foo bullshit. It's not really real. You know, it's just that lovey carry, you know, talk, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have any true basis in life, but to truly find out that um, it, it's, it's truly the, 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 the essence, the true vehicle in life was, was a surprise to me, you know, to try to, to truly find out that um, what was inside of me was, uh, was so much bigger than I thought and, and so much more profound than I could have ever imagined. And the interconnectedness that we all share is um is something to be experienced it's not something to truly be told but you have to tell people to understand that it's there but it's truly something to be experienced more than anything because it doesn't have the same you know feeling if i tell you you know what i'm saying and even if i tell you you're not going to truly understand because you got to feel it and when you feel it you're going to be like oh my god you know i feel like honestly speaking we're about five grams away from the world waking up, you know? And I say that if everybody was to do five grams of mushrooms, they'll realize something about reality, about themselves, about everybody else that would completely revolutionize and change the world instantly. You know what I'm saying? Because there's something deep that we have forgotten about existence that we've forgotten about humanity. We've, we've forgotten what we truly are in every single sense of the word. We're living outside of nature. We've created nature to be an adversary to us with, with, with the way that we, we treat it. You know what I'm saying? The, the, way that we, the way that we stand above it and outside of it. You know, we're no, no longer a part of it. Nature is God. If we're not a part of nature, then we're not a part of God. And, and, and if we're not a part of God, then we've gotten away from those immutable laws about the universe that, that, that keeps, you know, life going the way that it is. You know, these immutable laws, like, you know, no matter how, um, like, for instance, like, you know, people like, oh, you know, you know, God doesn't care or, you know, or, or you know, the, the idea of a higher being or anything like that is cruel because they let things happen in life. And it's like, well, I mean, I wouldn't say that because like if you stand at the edge of the cliff and, and you don't, you know, and, and you tempt gravity, then you will fall. You know what I'm saying? And it has nothing to do with how nice you are and all these other things. It's just that that's just the laws. That's just the laws of physics. You know what I'm saying? And no matter who you are, you violate those, you're going to pay. Well, we've created a society that violates almost every single universal law and we pay the consequence and we don't understand why because we're not connected to that essence of the universe the essence of god which is truly inside of ourselves mm, damn bro yeah man i think it's this great the analogy i always use it's like this great mirror 
that's going to show exactly what's actually there, not what you perceive to be there. Right. And I, the thing that to me that's so profound about psychedelics, especially when you're a public figure, is like, for me, when I'm out in the world at festivals and shows and shit like that, I have a bunch of people projecting onto me what I am. And if you stay on the road long enough, you know, luckily I don't drink alcohol, so I don't really buy that bill of goods. I'm not ever believing anyone, but there's this subconscious thing that happens where it's like, okay, well, I kind of am this thing. This is what I'm doing. And I think what's so powerful about psychedelics is they, they, they really strip away all of your human attachments to things. Yeah. Down to your core of like, well, what are you and where are you fall? For me, the biggest thing is where are you falling short? Okay. Where like, at ceremony, the big thing was like, okay, I'm, you know, I made you to do this thing and you're not even here for it. I'm not angry at you, but can you please be here for it? You know, like, right. That's the antidote. And, and I, there's a healthy amount of fear in psychedelics that I think are so important. Whereas there's this, like, for me, the experience that I went through with ayahuasca was this, like, okay, do you remember? Do you remember that we all come from this divine place? Okay. Well, okay, good. Quit forgetting. And now I've made you to do this thing. And then it kind of got really dark for a minute because I was like thinking about all of the things that I wasn't present for. And I was like, fuck, I was short with my family because I was stressed about this. And then she was just kind of like, okay, are you ready to let go and just trust and take this ride? I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. So my life since accepting that agreement of like, okay, I promise I agree to be here for it. I'm not going to get caught up anymore. And if I do get caught up, I'll bring myself back. You know, it's like that, that completely changes my day-to-day life. It changes how I interact with people. It changes how I talk to my manager, my bandmates, you know, and it brings it down to this spiritual thing of like, fuck dude, if we could all just get on the same page and accept that we are co-creating this existence together. And like you said, man, one thing in there you said, I think was so powerful is that we as a society are breaking all of these immutable laws. And that's what the chaos is. The chaos that we're seeing is done yeah. by our own hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, I, I had heard you once say that, a, that psychedelics kind of played a role in you deciding to step away from fighting. Yeah, it, it did. You know, um, when, I, uh, when I first did the Toad, the Toad was the first psychedelic I did. Um, my brother. That's a uh, hell of Dale a first Jolly. psychedelic to do. I know. Dude. I know, I know it was, it was, it really was, you know, um, my buddy, Del Jolly, who, who's been like my spiritual brother, you know, um, he, uh, he reached out to me and he told me about this medicine and what it's done for him and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, I need to try it because I, I just had lost my, um, uh, my last fight in the UFC. I lost to Anthony Smith and I got knocked out in the first round, like, you know, like in like less than a minute. And I was just like hella embarrassed. And I didn't really know, like, I was just like, damn, like what, what has happened to me? You know what I'm saying? I'm Sugar Rashad Evans. And, and to just have such a fall from grace, you know, losing my last five fights was, was something so hard on my ego, something so hard on, on who I was as a warrior, as a fighter, that I just had to have some answers. I had to really know like what, what was the true disconnect? Because, you know, I was losing, but I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel like these guys were better than me. You know, I felt like I was losing for another reason. So I really wanted to get to the heart of, of what it was. And um, when I got, when I did psychedelics, when I did the toad, 
it showed me something that that I could never forget. It showed me, you know, it showed me perspective on on, on what this truly is and, and what I truly was. And um, that completely revolutionized who I was as a person. You know, I have not been that person since. You know, the day that I did the toad, I completely changed after that. Like my my um, you know, my desires and wants change. You know, I know I stopped drinking alcohol. Even the desire to drink alcohol was gone. You know what I'm saying? My my desire to, you know, uh, you know, get after the women and chase, you know, chase women down, it was it was gone. You know, I started to see women differently. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, it was honestly as if like the psychological indoctrination, the program and whatever you want to call it was instantly broken. It was instantly broken just like that. And at that moment, I started to see life differently and, and, and without me even really making a conscious effort to the things that no longer serve me just started to fall away from me. And um, through that process of, of going down the road and just kind of seeing where this, this, this ocean of consciousness was leading me, I, I stopped eating meat, you know, the, 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 the knowingness, as I like to call it, you know, start, you know, started to really communicate to me on different kind of levels. And it really started to um, profoundly change my life. And uh, it, it was something that, you know, it gave me perspective on the why I was fighting on, on, on what made me fight and why it was important and, and what I was able to do and it and allowed me to have an appreciation for fighting that I didn't have. But it, it also um, let me just have, let me just to, to realize that, you know, uh, those opportunities, those, those losses, whatever it may, no matter how it came, it was always a blessing, you know, because it led to me uncovering more about who I am as a person and that's the goal of life. You know, the goal of life is to, is to develop as a being, you know, not, not for all these things that we, we strive for in life, because these things are man-made things. These things that we just, we created when we created society, you know, all these things, they mean absolutely nothing. What means something is the love you have for yourself, the love you have for other people, how you treat how you treat things, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, the, like what you give in life, you know, that to me is the most important thing. And if you can have those things and bring all the other things into it, more of the power to you. But if you don't have that, that at the essence of who you are, you're always going to be searching. You're always going to be trying to find something to complete you. Yeah, man. I think there's, a, there's an attachment. Um, Dude, I just went to this um, this Vikings exhibit at a museum this last weekend, and they had these cool things that would be like violence in Viking culture, and it would be a few paragraphs. And I was just reading all of this shit, and I think that we as a society have have told ourselves that we that we've excelled and that we're civilized and that that this is the right way, but we've lost context for so many things. And seeing how these people, you know, that lived in like 600 AD, the, the way, what was important was your family, 
um, the role that you were able to choose, right? Which was like, violence has always had a place in society, but it wasn't like violence for the sake of violence. Like right. you being good at, at, at martial arts essentially was like, uh, you know, a testament to how you would be remembered. It was like part of being a well-rounded, a well-rounded person. Um, your role with your family, um, and then your connection to the spirit world. And, and what was crazy about yeah. the Vikings was they had all these different realms and like war and, and fighting was in the, that was like considered this middle realm. So like you weren't an earthly being when you were fighting, you were like somewhere in between here and the gods. So there was this weird spiritual connection to everything, whether it was farming uh, or fighting or all this, right? So it was like, we've lost this like esoteric knowledge that keeps us tethered to everything that when you look at any indigenous culture anywhere on the planet, that esoteric knowing that they were a part of this thing was there. And, yeah. and we've lost that. And, and I think like whether it's fighting or music or whatever, we get so attached to this, I am this, I'm a musician, I am a fighter, I am right. a banker, that we forget like, well, yes, and you're also <laughs> a part of this crazy, crazy spiritual yeah. connection, which is you as a father, which is you as a partner, which is you as just a sentient being on this planet. And every interaction that you have is a testament to that. But we don't think I, about that. We're just like, give me my fucking coffee um, so I can get in my car and go do the thing, you know? Yeah, and, but, but you know what? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, I think that is why psychedelics are such important medicine. Because it's this like, no matter how caught up I get out here, eventually I'll get smacked in the face and be like, yo, 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 but remember, but remember, you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a part of this other thing too. Yes, psychedelics are, are, are very special in, in the fact that um, the gains that you get from it are real. They're your own. You know, like you go to a therapist, you talk to whoever you may talk to, who may be your confidant, who helps you get to tough things in life. They may speak on a perspective that you, you can't quite see yet. You know what I'm saying? And it takes time to talk to them over and over again to maybe finally have a breakthrough to be like, oh, that's what they're being, that's what they're talking about, you know? So it, it, it may help over time talking with those people, but it's not an instant like knowingness. You know, when you get yep. the perspective shift from, from a psychedelic, it's, it's true gains. It's like your knowledge. It's, it's like you become the sage, you become the wise teacher, and, and you, have, you have the emotional tools at that point to get beyond whatever you want to get, whatever you need to get beyond, because it's, it's something that has been imprinted in your heart and in your mind because life is all about perspective it's all about perspective you know uh you can struggle in life and not know why but when you get a certain perspective you're like oh it makes sense why i kept on knocking my head here i didn't see this aspect of it you know psychic and sometimes that can take years to get that can take years to get perspective but with the psychedelics it offers you a huge shortcut in the process you know what i'm saying it removes you out of the whole equation, you as you know yourself, and puts you in this higher sense of self that allows you to have perspective on your life and things in your life. And then from that, that point of view, problem solving just becomes easy. You know what I'm saying? It becomes easy. You're just like, oh my God, it was, it was, that, it was that easy? Like sometimes I come out of, out of a, a session, I'm just like, wow, it was, 
it was that easy. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a perspective that just took me forever to, to accept. But for some reason, after that psychedelic, I'm just like, I'm tracking, you know, and uh, it's real gains. It's real gains. Yo, speaking of gains, I wanted to tell you guys about uh, a flagship product for Onyx called Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain is a dietary supplement that helps support cognitive function, including memory, mental speed, and focus. Um, I take this shit before every single show, and on the good mornings, I remember uh, to take it before a podcast. Um, the thing that I found when I take it before shows never forget lyrics. I always know exactly where I'm at in the set and I just feel really present for the whole set. Um, sometimes, especially on tour when we're playing a bunch of shows, my mind can kind of start to wander, which is not a good thing to have happen in the middle of a song. Um, so Alpha Brain is, is the first Onnit product that I was introduced to and I came at it so skeptically. I was like, there's no fucking way that I can take some you know, blend of cordyceps that's actually gonna help my brain function. I can tell you from firsthand experience when I took it, it was in a, a full 180. It was a complete noticeable thing. I got my manager on it now, and he swears by it too. Um, so they also just dropped a brand new Alpha Game Alpha Brain Black Label. So head to uh, head to onit.com. Use code Satsang. You can get 10% off. Um, you must try this product. If you try no other product, if you're not into fitness, you're not into working out. Doesn't matter. If you want more focus at work. Uh, if you want to remember your kids' names when you're yelling at them, whatever the case may be, go to onnit.com, get some alpha brain. Well, it's like a cheat code, you know, like I, yeah. I had a guy, I had a guy recently that was like, yeah, well, you can, you can attain the same thing, uh, you know, through years of meditation practice. I said, well, maybe do, but not everyone has that kind of time. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. we, we, we could wrap this bad boy up in six hours and change somebody's life. And it's like, you know, like yeah. I, I, I think what, what's cool too is this paradigm is shifting because I think in the 60s, you know, the, there was like the Ram Dasses and, and shit like that that were, that were using psychedelics as a tool and a vehicle to spirituality. But um, one thing that hit me really heavy when we were at ceremony was on night two, I kind of like made it through my thing and like sat up and was looking around the room and I was like, dude, nobody's here for a good time. Like, Nobody came here to party or have fun. It was like, everyone's here to do work. And it's like, I think the more that we can shift the conversation around psychedelics is like the way that you were just comparing it to therapy. That's what it is. If, it, if that is the intention yeah, that they're is. being used, that is where those gains come that you're talking about, where it's like, if you're going into a session to use any psychedelic and the goal is teach me, show me, learn me up, you know, like <laughs> fill me up so I can be a better person. Dude, it would change society overnight. You know, Dale and I were joking at ceremony too of how funny it would be like after somebody won an election of like, okay, man, well, you got the votes. Uh, looks like you're in. There's, there's one final step to this process. You know, we're going to, we're gonna, you got to do a three day ayahuasca ceremony and then we'll, oh, uh, we'll gosh. give you the keys to the office, you know, where it's like, I mean, that, it's weird too because i i wonder what the, that experiment of like somebody that that couldn't be further removed from that way of thinking if they were forced to be in it you know like what happens if you give donald trump mushrooms you know like right does it right. just scare the shit out of him or does it like fully change his whole shit i don't know but um 
yeah, it, it's cool to see this renaissance. And, and you know, Dell, you and I are both members of the circle, and it, it, it's cool to see more people coming out and being like, no, you know, I didn't do mushrooms at a college party, and like, you know, the, I've had this great life-altering awakening that has changed the way that I exist in my day-to-day -day life and completely enhanced all of my relationships. Like, that's what I've gotten from these plant medicines. Not fun, yeah. not a good time, you know, that has completely altered my path on life and my understanding of what I'm doing, you know? And, yeah. and for me, the removal of the fear of death, which I think is like the craziest thing that we have to deal with as humans, is knowing that we have an expiration date. Whereas like, dude, I left the ayahuasca ceremony just like, oh, that's it? All right, well, right. I guess I'll go back there when they call me. You know, <laughs> like that's that's no longer something yeah. that I'm real freaked out about. It's just like, well, that'll happen when it happens. I'll be ready. Yeah, I um, mean, like, you know, like, like the, way, the way things are now in society, it's as if like um, we're at a point where these leaders that we have uh, dictating to us policy and what we need to do, they're not gonna be the ones to, to make a better tomorrow. No matter how much they, they, they propagandize to believe so, they're not gonna be the ones because that's not their true intent. Their true intent is not to, 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 to bring that to us. Their true intent is to subjugate us even more so they keep control of their power, you know, whatever that means to them. So, it's up to us to, to wake up from the reality that we've come to believe is true and really start to grab a hold of something else, something different, something that, that connects us all and not separate us and not marginalize us in the way that society has a tendency to do in, in the guise of trying to be all inclusive, in the guise of trying to be equal you know what I'm saying? There, there's no bigger farce than this whole equality movement that does nothing but marginalize and separates everybody. And it's up to us to to be the ones, to to be the stewards, to to um, make sure that we're starting to establish these connections and starting to rewrite our history from, you know, from the heart and, and not from this narrative that we're told about existence because humanity is is in trouble right now, you know, and I don't want to sound dramatic or, or, or anything like that, but that's just the truth of the matter. You know, we're, we're in a very tough, tough spot as a society. And if we don't wake up, then our, our society uh, will be forever changed for, for, for the worse where we may take centuries to come back from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's trippy, man. I just, I got into it with um, a close friend of a friend, we'll say, that is a, a journalist for a extreme leftist magazine. And I, I'm just starting to realize that there's certain conversations that just can't be had with someone unless they have that knowing, yeah. where it's like, oh yeah, well dude, you don't even know that you're fucking a part of this whole entire universal experience yeah. and that we're all kind of sentient beings and we're not here to bump into each other we're here to dance together so if you're not locked into that then we can't even we can't even start this conversation you know because it's like yeah you're viewing the world through the most human eyes and and i think that's it dude it's this last lack of connection that's it that's why we're banging into each other so hard that's why everyone's yelling and fucking throwing rocks at each other is because it's like 
they're not seeing themselves in other people. They're not like, oh man, I am the mother of that kid that was killed. Oh fuck, I'm also the cop. Oh fuck, I'm also, you know, it's right. like, no dude, we're, right. we're this right. whole thing, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. it's so That's nuanced so and it's so deep. You know, it's like, and, and you know, I'm, I, I think a big thing that we're seeing in society is like, I see so much social commentary from people that just have no sort of experience with what they're talking about. And it's like, it's completely akin to the fucking weightlifter in the bar saying what he would have done in that fight, you know? And it's like, well, fuck, dude, you actually don't know what you do if Kamaru Usman was kicking your ass. Cause you wouldn't actually be able to do anything at all. You know what I mean? It's like, you right. can fucking say what you would do until the cows come home. But I bet you if we put Kamaru on you, it would be a rough day. You know, it's like, it's so easy. Totally. It's so easy to, to, to speak like, you know, unless you know, you know, um, yeah. Before I let you go, dude, I heard that you were thinking about fighting again. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it, man. I, I've completely done a, a 180. I come out on the other side of it, and just you know, um, for the most part, it was it, it, it's more or less like you know, um, I've reached a point where I'm I'm so content in where I am at in my life, and uh, I've been. I've, I want the challenge. I want the challenge of just going out there and, uh, you know, and, and just, and just, and, and just testing myself on a physical level, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about for a while because I'm a coach right now and I, and I coach these big heavyweights all the time and, you know, I'm getting there and I'm mixing it up with, I'm just like, you know what, like, I can still do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can, I can still do this, but it's not like, um, I'm disillusioned by it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to act as if like I can go on this huge run and become world champion again and stuff like that, but I can definitely do it for fun. You know what I'm saying? I definitely can beat the hell out of some YouTubers. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> please I mean, do, dude, it, please go do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's something, that's something that, that, that is fun, that motivates me and, and um, I can see myself doing it. You know, I, I would really like to get one in, but you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's not like something that, you know, uh, you know, it's like, I gotta have it. I gotta have it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not fiending for it. It's just something that I, I feel like I'm, I'm ready to do again. And I felt like I stepped away from the sport at the time that I needed to, because I had so much mental fog in my life and I need to really clean out some things in order to, for me to feel like this again, you know, like I'm a competitor. You know, I've yep. always been a competitor my whole life and it's just part of my orientation to who I am as a being. So when that competitive spirit came back, you know, I had to listen to it in a sense and see and see what it was about. You know, even before I even came to announce that I'm going to come back and, and uh, you know, and fight again, I, I've had the feeling before, but I wanted to sit with it. I wanted to just be like, am I really doing this because I want to do this? Or is it that impulse that I'm feeling because you know, I haven't done it in so long. And it's like, you know, uh, it's like having my leg cut off, you know, I just feel the phantom pain of what, mm -hmm. of, of, of the fighting game. But um, it, to me, it's all about uh, just having fun a few more times, because like I was saying before, like this last year, everything that happened with COVID and, and everything that's been happening since it is really put life in perspective that, um, that, that has kind of shown me that, you know, uh, we're here by the grace, man. We're just here by the grace of God. And, and time is fleeting. These moments are fleeting. And 
I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know what, what my tomorrows bring. I don't know what my tomorrows bring. So while I still have the ability, while I still have the love, while I still have the passion, I'm going to give it a shot one more time and, uh, and just see where that leads me. Because I've always found in my life, whenever I've moved with that passion, I've always had great results. You know, and it may not even be me landing in, in, in a fight somewhere. It may be me landing somewhere else that, that, uh, that I love and I'm passionate about. Because when you go down a road, there's always stops along the way that you may find more appealing than a destination where you're trying to get to. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. but it's all about going down that road of passion. When you go down that road of passion, who knows what you're going to uncover? And that's where I'm at Dude, with it. That's just it, man. It's like, you know, when I started training, there was, there was something about it that hooked me right away, you know, um, particularly jujitsu. I just, I couldn't get enough of it, man. And I try to think of like, I remember, you ever see that documentary Choke, that Hicks and Gracie documentary yeah. from back in the day? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love that one. There's a, there's a part where he's sitting on the beach and he goes, if you took jujitsu from me, that you would take my life from me, you could cut my legs off. You, I would rather give you my legs yeah. than give you the jujitsu that's inside of me. And in my head, I was like, well, fuck man, that's gotta be, what's that about? And and it's something that like we were saying, like Bob always says, who feels it knows it. It's like, it's just like the psychedelic thing. It's like, until you have that knowing, you just don't know. It's like, I, I couldn't even imagine the world without, without that in my life. And it was just that passion. I was right. just passionate about this thing. I had no idea where it would lead. And, and, and training has, has it, it's my entire perspective on the world. It's, it's, it's allowed me to have this deep empathy for people and be like, oh, dude, you just never been punched in the face. So you're just like this hurt, angry kid that's never like, <laughs> you know, you've, you've never, you don't know where your limit is. So you're running around the world like an arrogant prick trying to find your limit. So I'm not even mad at you, you know, like, yeah. Um, dude, I, I've had this idea, and I guess Bellator was kind of that for a while, but I think hearing people like you saying that you're thinking about fighting again i think there's there's people that are about the same age as you that are still in more than good enough shape to do it gsp is one of those guys i think dana should do like a fucking legends league where he goes like i agree you know where there's there's some fucking thing that it's like whether it's its own pay-per-view or like every couple pay-per-view there's like a legends league fight because there's there's so many dudes like yourself that are 40 that are in phenomenal shape that haven't quit training that are coaching like they have not left the environment whatsoever they're just not competing you know and there's i think there's so many exciting fights to make um of people that would still fight you know that still can fight well you know like i rolled with you and i was like dude you might as well have been 22 fucking years old like you know like there was no (laughs) there was no slow there was no you know there was no lag in there dude that rashad hit me with an arm drag where I felt like I <laughs> got shot out of the world's largest slingshot. I don't think my body's ever moved that fast outside of a car before. So it's like, yeah, man, I, I think it could be such a cool thing. And I think there's so many people like myself that have been watching the sport for so long that if they found out you were fighting, they would be through the fucking roof. And if they found out you were fighting someone else from that era, not just like, oh, yeah, Rashad's going to fight some fucking guy. It's like, dude, that would sell so fucking hard. Yeah, I think so too, man. I think that there's, there's definitely room for it. And um, there's more and more guys 
starting to want to compete at a later age. You know, we see um, we see that with the whole uh, with the whole Tyson and Roy Jones and everything that's been going. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are who are who are coming out to do it again. Uh, and I feel like I feel like a lot of a lot of people, you know, are feeling the same way. Like like at this point in life, at this point of of where we are in, in the world, it's like. What what do I what do I what do I have to lose? You know what I'm saying? It's it's you either live for that passion, or you live for nothing. You know, like like mm-hmm. you you turn on the news, there there's a million there's a million things to see on the news that just like completely stress you to fuck out. You just like whoa, I can't even I can't even deal with society right now. Let me let me feel something again. Let me feel let let, let me focus myself on something that. That that I get excited about every single day. Let me get excited. Let me start off my day with the excitement, not with the pit of my pit of my stomach of of what this news is saying. You know what I'm saying, and how it may affect me on a financial level, all the things in my life. You know, let me just feel that passion of life again. You know, and I think that's what it's more like, more more about than anything. People just want to feel alive again. They want they want to know that 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 they can still live. You know, and, and that's where I'm at. I want to live. I want to be able to spread life. I want to be able to, and by spread life, I mean spread the enjoyment of life, the excitement of life. And, you know, fighting may not be your thing, but when, if, if you're a person who, 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 who loves to see people happy, then you can recognize happiness and that resonates with you. You know what I'm saying? And that's what, that's what it's truly about more than anything. It's not about being a tough guy or nothing like that. It's about just finding that thing in life that, that makes you want to do want 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 to be better want to make the world better because that's what's going to make the world better yeah man and i think that there's for me the path the path to that is through doing hard shit you know like the me after a hard session at the gym that's the nicest most calm version of myself that there is you know like I was, I've, I always tell this story of, I had a phenomenal day at the gym last summer. I had rolled for two hours and then I sparred for a little bit and I had to like get a new phone. So that, so it took like an hour. So I hopped next door to this bar and ordered some food. And this man tried to start a fight with me. And I, in my head, I was like, dude, I'm loose. Like you couldn't have caught a more dangerous version of me. I'm already warm. I'm already loose. <laughs> And I, for some reason, dude, I just saw into him and I was just like, oh shit, man. I just saw this hurting dude. I was like, you couldn't get me to fight you if you tried, dude. You know what I mean? You, yeah. There's no yeah. anger to be squeezed out of me. It's gone. Like I don't have any anger. I don't yeah. have any hatred. I'm, I'm on a high right now, bro. I'm just floating through like any of the dark shit that yeah. existed to me this morning. It's gone. I got wrung out this morning. You know? And, and yep. I wish that people people knew that. And I'm sure there's other routes to it besides, you know, fighting your friends at a gym. But for me, man, I just, it just makes me so fucking happy, man. It makes me so light and it just rings out all the bad shit. And, and one thing that you said in there, that's really important too, man. I used to have this routine of I'd wake up, I'd lift weights and then I'd come home. And then before I would go do, you know, any mixed martial arts, I'd watch the news because I wanted to know what was happening in the world. And that's important to know what's happening in the world. And fuck was I angry all the time. You know what I mean? I was so disheveled. And, you know, and then this philosophy of focus 100% of your energy on things you can control and nothing else. 
you know, any energy you're putting towards something you can't control, what a, that's a waste. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, and, and to me, that's jujitsu, right? Is it's like, okay, well, fuck, all right, I'm not going to get out of this half guard. So what can I do to work? You know, and it's like, yeah. when I replaced that 30 minutes of catching up on the news with like 10 minutes of meditation and then 20 minutes of just sitting, just sitting and being, it's like, holy shit, man. Like, I wish that people would just... I mean, what would the world be if people were just like, all right, we're done paying attention to all this bullshit. No more, you know, <laughs> we're, we're done watching, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it would, it, it, the, the, the world would instantly change. And, that, and that's the most frustrating part um, for me is, is being able to see, to see that, you know, to see the fact that uh, all the power we have, we've given away. We've given away our power. And because we've given away our power, we live in a constant state of fear and in constant state of uncertainty. And we don't have to necessarily live like that. All we have to do is take our power back. It doesn't have to be anything violent or anything like that. All it, it, all it has to do with is just us just saying no more, agreeing not to, you know, not to make that emotional contract with, with these um, these things that, 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 that pull and drain our energy away and, and drain, you know, the essence of who we are and drain the goodness of our heart and, and, and uh, just kind of, you know, put us in such a mental uh, warp that we can't see, you know, anything, you know, we, we can't see the forest through the trees, you know, and, and that's what, that's what we, we really, we really need to do, but it's hard to get people to see that because, everyone is so afraid right now you know there, there's so much fear going on right now but there's something that um that life has taught us that we've forgotten and if we just get back to that that one lesson in life then i think that we'll be able to get by this and that lesson is just is just letting go life from the beginning of life has always taught us in each stage that we gotta let go you know when we were when we were a kid you know, we, we had to let go of our toys, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, we, we let go, you know, we had to let go in high school, let go of our friends and in college, we had to let go and all these different phases that, that brings us to this adult stage in life. It was nothing but a process of letting go. And all these lessons of letting go is really to teach us for the final test of letting go, which is letting go of your loved ones and letting go of your own, which you perceive as your life, you know? So, so the, the moment we start to realize and really start to grab hold of this letting go, then we can, then, then, then we, we'll, we'll be in a society that's just not completely run and inundated by this fear that just makes so much ugliness and nastiness just happen. Mm. Yeah, man, my, my friend Brady uh, has a company called go fast don't die he races motorcycles and his one of the catchphrases that they have on their stickers is let go for dear life and i love that so much man he is, that's one of those things that you read that everyone always says hang on for dear life it's like no dude that Ooh, ain't the answer let go, let go for, for dear, dear life you gotta let go you gotta let go that's because right all in life all in life we're taught the almost the opposite of that you know you gotta be a dog gotta hold on gotta fight da 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 all these different things but 
really it, it it's really the um you know the 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 way of just letting go and once you once you really understand what that is about letting go it is um it's one of the most powerful things you can do it's one of the most powerful things you can do is is really learning how to let go and truly understanding what that what that feels like you know it's one of the scariest things in the world but it's my favorite part of a psychedelic is that that last little bit of where I'm just trying to hold on because I know I'm about to go down that road and I hold on. And then I'm just like, you know what? This is not me doing the work. I got to let go. And when I let go, boom, the beauty happens. And it's like, what the hell was I holding Isn't on? That's so what, funny, what, what man. This, Isn't that man? so funny how that works? <laughs> yeah, dude. So yeah. night one, night one of the ayahuasca ceremony, man, I was like in the fetal position. I was not doing good. You know, it was so heavy, so intense. And I, I was like, fully like just confronting death, just like, well, f it was so fucked up, man. And I finally just was like, then fucking kill me. And I remember I flipped on my back, just like, then fucking take me, whatever, dude. And previously I was going through this headspace of like, fuck dude, not only am I not doing this tomorrow, but as soon as I'm able, I'm fucking leaving. Like I'm getting in my truck, I'm driving <laughs> back to Montana. And it kept getting worse and worse. And then I finally was just like, all right, dude, I guess if you're not going to let me go, then I'll fucking let go. And I rolled on my back. And the second I rolled onto my back, it was like, oh, like everything got good. And all of everything. the, all of the teaching started, you know, it was like, okay, cool. You've completely yeah. detached from yourself. Okay. Now we can go through it. Yeah, yeah. man. It's such, such profound. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's such a profound uh, example for, for how we should live is this, like, we're just so attached yeah. to all these things, man, that don't serve us in any way. And it's like, the minute we let go of our story and are just like, okay, well, fuck it. I'm here to learn. Then it's like, that's, that's when all the magic happens. Um, yeah. Hey, are you going to, you're going to be at that thing in Denver in September? Yes, sir. Yes, I will be. All right. I'll I come down. Be, then. So. Del, yeah, Del was trying it. to talk me into it and I, and I have so much going on. I literally, um, I go to a festival and then I come home and go elk hunting right away. And then I will literally come out of the woods and go straight there. Um, oh, wow. If, if you're going to so be there, you're, you're, you're touring, you're touring right now, right? You're touring, you're on tour right now or you guys no, kinda... no, I have, um, we did a couple weeks. We went and did red rocks. Um, and then some cool outdoor shows in Colorado and then did some hometown shows. Um, but this fall is going to be crazy. We're going on tour for almost two months straight. So it's, it's going to be weird, man. I, I feel ready. Um, again, it's this like, usually I'm all obsessed with like where ticket sales at, what's happening. And I just feel different, man. I'm not like, and I'm not looking at it as I'm going out to work this time. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go fucking play music and travel with my friends, which that's never my mentality Absolutely. going into touring, you know? So I'm just, yeah trying to be here for it um but i think i'm gonna bring my wife to colorado um she'll trip you out man <laughs> she will trip you out y'all two will link up i cannot wait to meet her um Absolutely. dude thank you so much so much for making time bro um i'm actually i gotta go train um but i love you so much man you're one of my favorite people um thank you man i love you too man i appreciate you for having me on yeah well i will see you uh i will see you in a month or so bro all right, man. Take care, bro. Yeah, likewise, homie.
All right, y'all. That's my dear friend Rashad Evans. If I hadn't had gone, had to go, had <laughs> did not take my fucking alpha brain. <laughs> if I hadn't had to go pick up my child, um, I feel like Rashad and I could have went for three, four hours, and we ended up talking actually later in the day uh, after we recorded this podcast about that very thing. Anyway, we got some really exciting guests uh, coming up. Next episode, uh, we have Kyle Kingsbury, who is, uh, man, what do you say about Kyle? Um, He's the man. Um, So if you are curious about Mr. Kyle Kingsbury, check out his Instagram at livingwiththekingsberries. Um, And yeah, I will will see y'all next week again.